people hear that you're a yoga instructor instructor and uh, or teacher or however you want to sling that, and there's automatically expectations that come along with it. And each teacher comes to their mat or comes to their students from their own experience with yoga. So it's really hard to put it all to put it all in a box. So for me, the opportunity to speak on how yoga has changed my life and helped me with my triggers. Um, I come from it from a space of anxiety and depression. That's what I, those were the symptoms I was trying to alleviate. So when I come to my mat with my students, this is what I know of yoga. And I mean, the good thing is, is not everybody has to have the same kind of traumas or experiences as me because fear is fear. You know, jealousy is jealousy. Love is love. Joy is joy. Um, There's depths of capacity of understanding through experience to the levels of that. You know, if someone, the worst thing that ever happens to them in their life is they get a paper cut and that's their worst trauma, it is still trauma. Mm -hmm. It's relative. Yes. Well, uh, before we go too much farther, uh, why don't you introduce yourself? <laughs> um, Blank mind. Yeah. Is, isn't that what everybody always wants? <laughs> mind, yeah, because that's where I go. I'm nothing like. Who are you? Well, I'm multifaceted. I'm. <laughs> well, let's go with the out, with the outside world part first. So you're. You're Kyla Dagenes. Did I say that right? Kyla Dagenes, yes. You live in Rocky Mountain House, Alberta. I do. You instruct people in meditation and yoga classes. You have two children that live with you at home. I do. Yes, I'm a mother. Um, Co-authored a book with you. That's fun. I like to teach on the reservations. Um, also in areas pertaining to social services. I would like to consider myself extraordinarily simple, yet complicated all at the same time. <laughs> I like to hike. I like uh, rocks. I've worked at a local rock store for the past 10 years. Well, I guess it's going on eight. I just rounded up for the decade. And that in itself, what a beautiful experience working in, in T-Rocks. Um, it's a really special store because people are either coming in there for two reasons, is they're looking for a space within themselves, um, they're looking, they're seeking something, or they just like rocks in either one of those situations I can appreciate. I'm a single mom. <laughs> I've been divorced twice. I was married the first time at 19 and the second time at 27. And the anxiety and depression that I, um, I don't like to own it. It's there. Um, And my triggers are caused from multi-levels of post-traumatic stress syndrome. So I've used yoga to move through multiple accounts of sexual abuse. And I like to speak about sexuality and meditation and pleasure. I also lost a sense. I'm half blind. So there was 
there was a whole process in learning to to move through life. It was new. And yoga and meditation, like through everything that happened, yoga and meditation has been the way out. It's the constant. It's like, a, I don't know, like a security blanket. Because I've seen lots of psychologists um, over the years, and they've all had different ideas of how to deal with anxiety and depression. Some of them were good. Some of them were terrible. Um, like one was, if I was anxious to snap an elastic on my wrist, and that just made me hyper-focused on elastics. That would cause me to be, it would be an endless loop of nervous energy for me. Yeah, I didn't like it at all. And then, <clears throat> I don't know, I've been into yoga and meditation since I was young, like really young. The subconscious has fascinated me since I was about 14. So like, how, why do I have this perception? Why am I seeing things this way and others around me clearly are not? It's really difficult for, for me with, with the use of both of my eyes to understand where, where you're at with uh, only having one, one working properly. <laughs> I love it now. I was actually looking the other day, um, and there's a stem cell research and regeneration of the optic nerve. I don't know. And then that, that brought me the choice. If I could choose to see again, would I? Do you know the legend of uh, Odin? And how at one point, because he's blind in one eye, as everybody knows, he wears an eye patch. Mm -hmm. The reason that he's wearing an eye patch is because his one eye, and I can't remember if it's the left or the right, has been turned back to look into his own brain, look into his own soul. Yeah, I read something like that similar in yoga. So do you feel that being partially sighted has uh, given you advantage with your breath work? Absolutely. I um, had to learn the rehabilitation and learning to move through life partially sighted was huge to be able to be in my body, to feel instead of trying to judge distance, relying on my physical, like relying on my vision. And, you know, I didn't understand at the time when I chose to make the decision to operate and no longer take medication I didn't really understand the implication at the time of what it was to, to lose a sense. And then, and then I learned very quickly. <laughs> there was a time when I wouldn't make right hand or left hand turns because I couldn't see the right side when I was driving. So everywhere I turned, I turned right. But it takes a long time to get anywhere going the right way. <laughs> That's what I learned the lesson there. Uh, so much of my life has been physical work mm-hmm. and climbing, climbing up and down on platforms and, and uh, lot, lots of ladders mm-hmm. and all that stuff would be really hard to do with one eye. Oh, yeah. Expanded metals like my nemesis because I can't yeah. see. It's the weirdest thing. I have to close my eyes and judge the distance with the back of my leg. And then I can, once I feel on the back of my leg, I know pretty much how far the steps are apart. Okay, so, then, so it's, it's the depth perception. Yeah, to expect the next stair at about the same space at the back of the next leg. So it was really learning to work internally. And the meditation uh, was priceless in that. Absolutely priceless. 
Because in meditation, you focus to be so fully aware of your physical being. But then you have to get used to being in there because in your physical being is tension and um, trapped emotions. You're continuously under the force of gravity. So you have gravity pressing down on your body. You know, you have to get used to being in it. And the yoga, that's what got me used to being in my body. You mentioned working on the reserves. Mm-hmm. That brings up a lot of... Uh, oh, I totally know oh. where I'm going with that. <laughs> Thank you. Go ahead. Yeah, that, uh, that brings up a lot, of, a lot of things in people's heads when they just even hearing the word reserve. Yeah, I love it. So right off the bat, you get fear. Yeah. Because it might be dangerous for you to go there, right? There is prejudice because of everybody has a picture in their heads of what people might be there. Mm-hmm. And that, that's based on interactions they've had in the world or whatever people told them. So um, do, you, do you run into a lot of that when you let people know what you've been doing? Yeah, fair bit. And I mean, it doesn't bother me. I am Métis. You wouldn't know it by looking at me. So a lot of the generational trauma that is on the reservation or stigmatism runs in my family. Um, Even just in my mom's generation, I know when my mom was younger, she faced a lot of racism because she's quite dark. My sister as well. Dark, dark hair, dark skin. I'm just like a little blonde puppy in the pile. or I don't know how that worked. They're both really tiny and dark. So in my own family, I seem... Um, the generational trauma, the addiction, um, the space of lack, poverty. And these are things that I understand on a very personal level. So when I hear the stigmatism, it's really easy to understand that they don't know. They don't know what's going on out there. There's a, not that there's a reason, but there's a, it's a culture. It's a, you know, and, and everybody's trying to get better. And that's the thing. Like, I think that that's why I really love being out there is because there's some extraordinarily inspiring stories of strength and struggle and, and I see success. And even bringing it full circle, I have a friend on the reservation and she was uh, abducted and molested by a group of men and left in the forest for dead. And I I believe she was out there for 14 days. And she came out of the forest with a bear tooth. And I met her coming into the store because she wears this bear tooth around her neck. And she's also on the reservation, so I go to see her. And in her attack, they disfigured her face very, very badly. In my own, in the losing of my sight and the the operation, um, I have a scar across my eye and an eye that points in the wrong direction. So there was something to get over in the fact of feeling disfigured. Um, And then this woman comes in and she's working so hard to release the experience, to not drag the triggers with her. And she's meeting these successes and, and in her strength and in her story, it gives me the want to press on in my own. So I was speaking with this about some friends the other day. You know, I, I love to go into these these places that are considered dangerous or considered 
I don't know, less desirable, I guess, for lack of a better word. But firefighters do it. You know, um, what keeps a firefighter keep running back into the fire? And that's kind of how I feel is like when I go to the reservation and because I've experienced childhood molestation and rape and then being roofied as an adult, um, a lot of the women on the reservation can can identify with that. And then we can, I can teach them about yoga and meditation and what it did for me and how I was able to grow in my own sexuality and my own space of being, authenticity, space of self-realization when, when you turn it inward. Because it can, make the, it can make the world a really scary place and you can feel dirty or you can feel unwanted or you can feel, you know? And then when they get it, when they really get that they're holding their keys, when I can, there's this look in their eye and it's like this fire, whew, this fire is just, just lit. And then they go and they do incredible things. I mean, sometimes, you know, shit goes sideways, <laughs> but then they get back on the path. And I've kind of seen that old, that pattern in my own, my own life. Because I mean, you grow up and all you see is violence or, you know, you don't really see loving, supportive relationships or what love is supposed to look like or what family is supposed to look like. You don't have that in you. And then that's the programming. And some people, you know, I've contemplated this for years. Some people stick with the program and some people can see through what the program, you know, the family programming and they can break away and they can do their own thing. Like it seems to affect people differently. I don't know. Yeah, I've uh, I've worked with quite a few guys that were were on the reserve, and I've worked li- like directly on the reserve out in the out in the forest. And I that specific one that you go to, I've known quite a few people from there, and they seem to be more down to earth in a lot of ways. Like their mm-hmm. their realism is turned on. Yeah, I get to laugh. <laughs> I get to, like I get to make dirty jokes. Yeah. Don't care if Kyla's dropping her f bombs or saying shit or, you know, like they're my they're my people. And same with when I get to go into social services or uh, anywhere where they let me at the vulnerable, you know, because that that's what I know. So I ask myself, you know, like, like why do I want to share this? on the podcast and it's mostly to step outside of the yoga race. The, um, I personally do not understand stretching for fun, you know, like it's fun. I have fun stretching, but, um, just because my interaction with yoga has been different or my approach to it or the reason why I've needed it or why it's come into my life I, I don't understand just it as an athletic performance. For me, the yoga poses have been a way into my physical body, which has led me to a deeper space of meditation. And in being in my physical body, it helps understand like when I was being triggered. You know, what's my heart doing? What's my breath doing? And then you can 
I could learn to manage myself on a biological level. What's my mind doing? I could learn to manage myself on a psychological level. You know, what's my energy doing? It's usually pretty relative to my mind and my body, but who am I hanging out with? You know, what what places am I, am I in? You know, just being more, more aware. And especially the the sexual trauma um, when you've been sexually abused or molested it changes shape for your sexuality and one of the coping mechanisms that I developed is in intimate situations I would leave my body and that's quite typical it's quite typical for people um, I wasn't truly aware of what I was doing until I read a specific book. And then I learned how to bring myself into my body in an intimate situation. But that took learning, learning about myself, learning to have a voice in intimate situations, learning to know that I could have a voice and that consent was required in intimate situations. That... That, that it wasn't something that was just happening to you, something that you were a participant in. That's right. And, it, and that's because there comes a skewed, well, for me, and I've heard from other people, there becomes this correlation between bad and pleasure. Like there's something wrong with me enjoying this, this pleasure that's what's supposed to be pleasurable. I have to block it out because it's dirty or it's, you know, that is the connections that was made in my mind. And I worked on that, I worked on that, I worked on that, and I was getting pretty good. And then at 23, I was roofied, and then, that, and then it changed again. So even though, like, even though I addressed the topic and I was working through it, it didn't mean I was safe, right? I had I convinced myself that, no, like, because the the previous incidences have been someone older and I was groomed for it. I knew I knew who they were. They were n- known to me, which is a completely different experience than being roofied. So I convinced myself, I was like, no, I'm going to fight. I got all spicy. It's like, I'm going to fight if someone tries to get me and to fight them, you know, tucking your keys in your knuckles and bring it. Because before, my response would be to go limp. And uh, not fight back. So then I decide I'm going to fight. And then when you're roofied, you don't have the opportunity to. And another thing that changed for me in that situation was that I didn't know who did it. So the paranoia became different. It was same, same physical trauma, same but completely different scenarios, right? So then everybody became scary. And you close yourself off a little bit. You don't want to let you don't want to let your sexy out. You don't want to let you know, you don't want to dress too provocatively. You don't wanna um there was a part of me that felt super dirty and the vibration of desire 
was terrifying. So even if I was out at a bar or I was in a barbecue or whatever, and I could tell a man was attracted to me vibrationally, it felt dangerous. And then the universe gave me two boys. And understanding what I knew about childhood development, understanding what I know about generational trauma, I had to find a way to make peace. Because I, it, it seemed wrong with me to raise men when I'm scared of them. I know I always give credit to my boys because because of my because of my wanting to grow for them, you know? Like I really got my anxiety under some decent management when I took my son to a therapist and she said, Kyla, he has anxiety and typically when I see an anxious child, I see an anxious parent. <laughs> oh. <laughs> <laughs> oh. <laughs> I hear you. And that was enough motivation for me to really hit my mat double time, you know, mm-hmm. hit my practice double time. Because I I see it in other people too. And I've been there within myself where I would get really deep into my practice and start to make some real good headway and then slip away from it, almost like missing, missing the pain, if that mm-hmm. makes And it didn't really click for me until I was YouTubing and I seen this video of this experiment where they were shocking a dog in a cage. And the dog would get shocked every 30 seconds for like a significant amount of time. It was weeks, if not months. And then they let the dog out of the cage and put it in a cage that didn't zap it. And they didn't like it. They became anxious in the cage without the zapping. So that came full circle to me in that when I was really making progress was at the point where I'd want to step away from, from the practice itself the most, just ego. Well, we, we adapt to our circumstances. And if you, uh, if you're in dangerous circumstances, you adapt so that you can survive, but that fights against yourself Mm -hmm. later on. Absolutely. Because, I mean, so much of the adaptations are not authentic. Like, it is not authentic of who I feel I am in my heart to be terrified of all men, you know? That's not authentic. That does not feel good. And I'm not anymore. Like, and, you know, for the, the beautiful men that have walked into my life to share their stories and to be open and vulnerable and to sit in, in equal, peaceful space, you know, that it was collectively... But I was looking for them because I was like, well, you know, kind of fair, unfair to put everybody in a box, right? So I started looking for those men of higher consciousness and, you know, reading their books and watching their YouTubes and, you know, just finding respect and, and honor for the vulnerable male heart. And it helped. It really helped just in their own sharing of vulnerability. So kind of yoga allowed me to become super intimate with myself. And I had a friend that would say intimacy stands for into me see. Hmm. And to be intimate with myself is acknowledging my likes and my dislikes to 
have the courage to not do something if it doesn't feel right. And you've heard me complain about not wanting to be nice lots, and that's kind of what I associate that with, that nice, you know, constantly doing something you don't want to do for the oh, yeah. Validity. Bending over backwards for other people and and yeah. putting on a front. Yeah. Like to say, no, I don't like that. I mean, and then that comes full circle to... Um, I think I think that we should replace the word nice with a different word like namby-pamby. So yeah, like for me, the, and even the perpetual positivity motion in yoga, like our movement in yoga, is, I do it to be okay. I do it because if I don't, then I get trapped in my head and I no longer have physical orientation of my body. And like, it gets chaotic when I do that. It gets really chaotic because you start like running over little old people, you know, like, I'm, and I'm a, not a small woman. But in that space of authenticity, I really had to let go of pleasing others. And, I, and being okay with hearing that I'm too much, you know, too opinionated, too, too strong, too tall. Well, maybe that just means that those people are too weak to handle it. That's right. But how many people, like, I know I'm not alone in that and cutting myself down to smaller pieces, right? And, and I, I believe that men do it as well. Definitely. I don't know. Grateful for it, though, because what freedom if you're always saying yes, 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 when you don't want to, and then you finally take the opportunity to say no. Yeah, lot, lots of people uh, have a hard time learning, learning to say no. Mm-hmm. It's even hard to say no to your lover, right? Or in family circumstances where boundaries aren't really enforced or if you just keep putting the pressure on eventually they'll cave or yeah approvals fleeting and that's another thing too is that there's no part of me that is interested in being put on a pedestal because even though like I've, I've invested years and years and years well over almost two decades into meditation, the subconscious, its correlation with the physical body. Um, and I'm still practicing. Just keep returning to center. I'm still growing. I'm still evolving. And there's this, this misunderstanding that yoga teachers are anything other than human, you know? And I see them sell it all the time. I see mastery being sold. Mm-hmm. Um, answers mastery being sold is that what you said that's <laughs> and what is like if you ask yourself what is you know what is mastery i was reading this morning about experts in psychology <laughs> in order to be that person you have to have gone to school for a long time <laughs> Otherwise, you're not an expert. You're just just a dude or a gal. I'm cool <laughs> just being a gal. Um, I was actually thinking about this 
the other day, and I find it funny for a couple of reasons. Alan Watts did this beautiful speech where he denounced psychology as a science and called it a pseudoscience to a room full of psychologists, which I completely adore about Alan Watts, and offered the idea that it is an art, an art of connection. And I would agree. I mean, there's many paths off up a mountain. I have a therapist, so I'm not saying, you know, they're not useless. I, I have an amazing therapist, but she also has the ability. She has a beautiful art form about what she does to. In order for someone to accept what they're facing or to deal with something in the subconscious, they personally have to bring it to the conscious mind. You can encourage them and you can dance with their ego a little bit, but unless they say it, that subconscious issue will not come forward. They'll just reject it. And a true, true psychologist or therapist um, knows how to dance beautifully with your, your ego. They see you, you know, and that's an art. I do encourage therapy, but enjoy your therapist. You know something going if you don't like your therapist. Therapists can, I'm, I'm sure they help a lot of people. Um, I don't have much experience with them myself. Mine's sassy. I love her. She's spicy. I just love her. She's a spicy French lady from France. And she just smart. Like she's smarter than me. Is why she's a great psychologist for me. Because she can see right through my shit. And she likes to tell me I'm cute. She's like, oh, she's cute. And I, it just kind of irks me. And then I look back and I'm like, oh, you know. And she has this beautiful way of delivering a different perspective. And it's very well done. She speaks to my heart. But that doesn't mean that I haven't seen, you know, 25 therapists in the middle looking for that connection, right? It was a, it was a seek and find sort of thing. I know you don't you don't like putting yourself on the pedestal, but you you could think of it more along the lines of you've built a pedestal, and you're the cat in the room, and every once in a while you do jump on it, and then you jump off. Um, because can't you consider yourself to be a therapist for quite a few people? Um, yeah, I work out a lot of stuff with a lot of people. Maybe like a, some sort of weird yoga therapist because what I do is a hybrid of reflexology, yoga, meditation. I've worked with anything from athletes that were suffering physically or having issues with their mental game to children with anxiety to uh, lovers um, wanting to work on intimacy. Yeah. And I don't know so much about a therapist, but maybe a space holder. You know, I can create space and, and share my studies. And I mean, and I, it's funny because if you talked, like you said, if I told that a psychologist that I study, you know, they're going to laugh at me. And that's okay. Um, the brilliant part of doing it a little differently is that I was able to source information from wherever I choose and look for different, different angles, all sorts of different angles. 
different perspectives, where it wasn't just one very expensive directed focus. And then it was more the the people that taught me about people. So it wasn't I'm learning about these types of people. I would meet these types of people and learn to dance with the different, you know, types of minds. Not that I didn't research the different types of minds, so I was aware of what I was looking at. But, you know, it wasn't in a formal setting. So I don't know about a pedestal. Like, I'll take the stage. I'll say it first. I'll say it and be like, you know, I know how it feels to be abused. I know how it feels to be depressed and have anxiety. I know I know how it feels and, and create space for dialogue and, and storytelling. Because in the room, like, once I just break the ice, being able to be vulnerable, other people start sharing and then they start identifying with each other's stories and it's this beautiful, it's not me on a pedestal. I might be holding the space, but the alchemy is coming from everyone in the room. And even in the yoga class, I teach to the best breather and the stiffest person, you know? So the yoga is moving to the space of the stiffest person and the breath's going to the most relaxed person. And in that they all, they all move and, uh, and grow, I guess. I but it's definitely not me because I'm learning too. Mm-hmm. You know, when I hold conferences, I'm not standing there stoic. <clears throat> I cry. I cry with them. There's some stories you hear. If you ain't crying, you have no soul. Like, you know, like um, my, my job is to facilitate the connection and safe space. And how do I do that? I just find center. So I'm not doing anything really great. <laughs> Have you, so let's just examine what the average psychiatrist or psychologist might do when you go in, when you sit down and they ask you some leading questions and then they quietly hold space. Yeah. And then you pay them big bucks. And that was my direction. That was my, that was my direction of study. <clears throat> um, because I don't hold a paper and pen, um, and I'm sitting there mostly, mo- and most times I'm sitting there in a space of common understanding, connection comes very quickly. And especially when you go out to places like reservations or into group homes for troubled youth, there's lots of distrust for authority. Lots of distrust for authority, high space of rebellion. I can understand that. I can understand where they come from. I rebel against myself. I have a, I have a kind of the same program. I have the same programming, or had the same programming, or yeah. W- wondering what this person that's arriving here, what exactly they're trying to prove to themselves, and exactly. do you really mean anything to them, etc. Exactly. And then when I can step in there and like I've had it said to me we're like you just a home girl <laughs> yeah I'm just a home girl like I understand I understand and I mean and then I've worked with people with anxiety and depression that 
are there because I can empathize with what is anxiety and depression. Super educated people, um, just coming to a space into their lives where they no longer can deal with the pressure. They start panicking. They hear meditation is good for them. They come find me. And we can work through it. And I think there's comfort in in the meeting of the hearts when like I know what it's like to phone an ambulance on yourself thinking you're dying and it's anxiety. And I did it twice. Like so it's a very real experience. It's a very real and, and people think they're crazy because when they go to the doctor, they're like, Oh, it's just anxiety, you know? And it's it's if you've never experienced it. Uh, you don't know. So lots of connections in that in that space. Lots of work with anxiety. And then just like I have a therapist, because I talk to people all day and help or hold space for them to to hear themselves on their, their issues. Uh, I have a therapist and I also have a uh, many students who are in different aspects of social services, uh, police officers, uh, firemen, you know, EMS, these people that deal with tragedy on a daily, on a daily basis. And, And we find comfort in the connection and then liberation in the fact that it's still unique to you. And that's where the liberation comes in, is the acceptance as you are. I think it's important to have goals and a, and a direction, but more the acceptance. So when people come to class, like I teach super slow, super, super slow yoga. And the reason is, is because the, the demographic that I wish to serve typically doesn't feel comfortable or like they belong on a map. So we keep it simple. Um, really simple. And we confuse it sometimes just so we can, you know, the practice of yoga, as I understood it, was like a battleground for the mind or like a training ground for the mind. It's like ninja practice where you trigger your neurological response, which also triggers emotions. And then you learn to soften the emotional response to the nervous trigger. So you're dealing with the biology of learning to manipulate your nervous system through the physical positioning of your body. That doesn't sound much like hot yoga. What do you mean? No. <laughs> <laughs> I, th- I just thought you just go there and try not to die. And I'm not thinking. <laughs> so... so- Go ahead. Let's switch gears a little bit. Uh, Tell me something that's true that almost no one agrees with you on. That isn't hot yoga. That it all doesn't have to be unicorns and rainbows. Um, Basically, what if the purpose of life isn't happiness? Yeah, exactly. I I do not believe the purpose of life is happiness. I do not believe that at all. Okay, well, most people would disagree automatically. Well, yeah, that's why I'm not popular. You know, <laughs> that, people have walked their asses right out of my class, right in the middle, just right in the middle of teaching. Nope, I am not dealing with you. And it was on that 
basis that happiness is a is a fleeting emotion. I don't I don't think you can exist there. But I do believe you can exist in a neutral space and peace. And then enjoy the different kaleidoscope of emotions that that come with it. And I mean you can't have the light without the dark. It does not, one does not exist without the other. You cannot have love without hate or fear. That gets back to the various people that you've probably encountered that insist, insist on smiles. Yeah. Or that I wear colorful clothing. (laughs) I wear a lot of black. I wear a lot of black. I love black. I, if I'm going to pick out a cocktail dress, it's going to be black. And, I, and I've heard people say, like, you know, you really should wear more color if you're going to teach yoga. Like, oh. And that's, that's when me calling myself the Batman of yoga came in. I, I paid for my spiritual training by selling vibrators. And, you know, that's not the typical. <laughs> black ones? Pardon? Black ones? Vibrators? No, they were all sorts of colors. Well, <laughs> I did passion parties to be able to come up with enough money to go to Indonesia and do my yoga teacher training. And I mean, it was brilliant because by then I'd done like piles, piles of work on sexuality, tons of work on sexuality. So I was comfortable or capable enough to, to go into these homes and, you know, I'm, I'm pretty open, so there is, you know, some parties I did on the, I always get the acronym wrong. I always forget a letter. LGBTQ? Yeah. Did I get it right? (laughs) Yeah, I think so. In the the community. So that was a lot of fun. Um, Most people don't expect that's, you know, how I got there. It was more of a pursuit for perfection or happiness and that's not really the case that would be scary to go to the first couple i imagine sex parties yes yeah no well i'm awkward as it is like i have a friend that can't believe that i talk to people in public like just can't just blows their mind that i actually go in my awkward little self (laughs) you know and we'll talk to large groups of of people because I stutter and I, I, I don't know, for whatever reason, he can't believe that I do that. That's funny. I love it. Well, going from sex parties to stage, it doesn't sound like that much of a stretch. No. And I mean, a lot of what I talk about is, is sex because sex and pleasure, same chakra. I don't want to get too deep into chakras. We haven't hit that, but um, to have, um, if you're blocking pleasure, you're blocking it in all areas of your life and probably overcompensating with a different addiction. So pleasure comes up a lot. And what is sensuality? What is, you know, what is sensuality? I mean, you can make eating a grape a sensual experience if you come into your senses, which is essentially the study of Tantra. And then can you bring that availability of your senses to all different aspects, including sex? And that's where you come into Tantric sex. 
so it's all it's all inter interconnected you know so what are you not very good at um, math and time I, I don't do well at time so I require a routine or rituals in order to kind of keep me on track with time. Okay, so I would argue that you're great at traveling forward in time. <laughs> we all are. That's right. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, I like to be but, present sometimes. Um and, and that's really what, what disrupts me is that you meet someone and this conversation develops and often the time gets in the way and you've got to run off, right? Like, so the scheduling of time, because I don't know what's going to happen. Lots of cool stuff could go down. That could probably root into commitment somewhere. Scheduling is hard. Yeah, I guess as long as you can be flexible. And that's the... Another thing is the misconception that flexibility of yoga is just in the body. You're honestly training your mind to be just as flexible in the body. And some people like, I'm born stiff and strong, right? Just ready to go. <laughs> and some people are, are born flexible and soft. So where I need to learn to soften and be more flexible, they could probably learn to be more strong. I'll grind through, you know, warrior all day long if you want me to. <laughs> but then put me in a pose that requires, you know, flexibility and, and slowness. Sometimes I really struggle. And I mean, pleasure and character development. That's, you know, pleasure and pleasure in the, the obstacles of life. Pleasure and, and the pain as well as uh, the pleasure. Because if you block one, you're blocking the other. You got to feel them both in that moment. You can let it go. You don't have to hold on to it, right? You can let it go. But in the moment, it probably serves us best to feel the pain and then let it go. So let's step it down. And that's another thing. Like I'm no stranger to addiction. I'm no stranger to the way addiction affects family. Um, I lost what I considered a brother at 14. He froze to death. My brother-in-law committed suicide, left behind my sister and, and her children. Um, and even in those spaces of intense emotional darkness of survivor's guilt of um, helplessness of there still was incredible acts of love and beauty and speaking of like, holding space I held space at my brother-in-law's funeral I directed his funeral and that was intense that was that was space to hold um suicide is a topic that I'm very comfortable with um I know many people where suicide has affected their lives and their stories and their families. And and standing in front of that group of people, it's almost like when you are dealing with suicide, everyone's dealing with their own mortality and sadness at the same time. So like there was the people who were like, I could never imagine, you know, 
how selfish, how this, how that. And I can understand being suicidal. And I think that there was other people in the space that could understand what it's like to just feel so much pain. Um, that you question if it's if it's worth it. And that typically comes when you when you get lost in the pain and become fearful of feeling fearing the pleasure because you can't trust it because you know the pain's there. Right? So with that funeral, we started five big breaths because that's how I deal with everything in life. <laughs> and off we went. And the story goes on. And I had this uh, friend when I was younger and I, I had this favorite saying and he had to put on a Zippo lighter because I was very cool in 96. And it said, life is a circle of meaningless tragedies and a series of near escapes. And that resonated, I guess. But that maybe is what life is, is that the longer you live, the more you see both beautiful and and not. And then you keep escaping these circumstances. If you keep escaping, you're good, right? If you keep making it out alive, you're doing, <laughs> you're doing your job. Yeah, we're all just Frogger crossing the street. Fair enough. And we forget that. <laughs> Watch out for that truck. That's right. Oh, look, Mater. <laughs> Mater. And at the end of the day, that's really, you know, did you laugh? Laughter is huge, especially when we're sitting there talking about these heavy topics, you know? Laughter is huge. And that's really what I see a lot of is a lot of laughter on the reservation. They will laugh at some really dark stuff, which also makes them my people, right? <laughs> I'm, ha- I'm happy that the winds blew in specific directions and I was placed in specific places um, with teachers who taught from a space of the guru is within you, that you are your teacher, your answers lie within. That's huge, powerful message. They never, ever accepted the power that I was willing to give them over my myself. They they were hell-bent on, though, that's your own issue. You've got to find your own answers. And I feel like I was very blessed to find such genuine teachers in a market that is flooded with selling mastery and in that um, I bring that principle to the classroom that every person that sits in front of me I am training to be their own teacher and they're not going to get a certificate it's just like me and my it's just like me and the counseling right I don't have a degree they won't have a yoga teaching certificate but they will know yoga from a space of empowerment from a space of pleasure, from a space of self-acceptance and sharing, compassion, which in turn, until I can fully offer these things to myself, it's very difficult for me to offer them from a genuine space to someone else. And the legacy lives on, and I say it all the time in classroom, is that this isn't mine, this isn't my stuff. I mean, the way I'm singing it to you, that's the art, that's what Alan Watts was getting to, that was the... It's my, my art is in my delivery. 
And for the people that that resonates with, that is beautiful. And I hope that they receive the same freedom, the same continuous gifts, continuous gifts that yoga has offered me. Because I know I'm going to live a life. Things are going to keep happening. Life's going to keep unfolding around me. And I feel as though as long as I have yoga, I'll be okay. So what's next? For me, whatever comes, um, I would like to aim. Oh, for one, I just want to get back in the classroom and hear him breathe. Um, Internet teaching has been okay. It's been good. (laughs) It's been all right. (laughs) Contract on the reservation coming up. And I'll just keep seeking. I mean, the the, re, the way I got out there is that people in positions in on the reservations or with social services attended my classroom. They felt value for what they received. And then they offered me up to their institutions is how I got in there. So it was all word of mouth. Um, continue that. Don't brand myself. Stay open, stay centered. You know, we got some stuff coming up, hopefully with the book. And I feel as though I get to live my purpose. And sometimes that takes different shapes. Sometimes I'm doing different things. Well, if there's one thing that uh, 2020 has shown us, you just never know what's going to happen next. That's right. Go from pandemic to murder hornets to I was like baby. waiting for the new baby Jesus I was like when's new baby Jesus getting here come on now <laughs> well that's right and I mean it's, so many people are are freaking out because it's so outside of normal where I understand that because every time my life was flipped upside down I had to op- learn to operate from this new space of awareness and even though I've done the work I've done, sometimes it still takes the person off guard. There's this woman, her name is Marlo Ellis. She runs um, a group. And it's about telling your story. She does a beautiful job in helping women tell their, their stories of struggle and triumph to really lay it out there. And uh, each one of those stories matters. Each person matters. I want people to know they matter. Well, hopefully you're, you're giving some people a, a good example of how to tell your story. I don't know about that. It felt awkward. <laughs> <laughs> I guess if anybody wants to get a hold of you, they could uh, check your website out. Yeah. www.intothewildofkyla.com On Facebook, Kyla Dajne. Don't text me. You'll probably never get an answer back. I'm terrible with that. Oh, if you wait long enough, usually you get back. Yeah. yeah <laughs> I had to explain that to someone the other day. I was like, listen, this is just what people know of me. Like, <laughs> sorry. But I'm not even really sorry. I, I don't know. Well, you have to deal with the unexpected, right? 
And texting I, isn't a guaranteed two-way street. I feel as though people feel it is. They do. <laughs> I feel as though when someone texts you, they are extraordinarily expectant of an answer ASAP. <laughs> Sometimes, you know. But in, in that same sense, I have to own my own feelings and accept that people own theirs. And That's right. They're in charge of their own expectations. That's right. And I mean, I try not to be an absolute jerk about it. Um, but texting, and you know, there's no tone. So I think I just don't like it to, to begin with. So therefore, it's not super up there on the priority list. Like, I definitely appreciate tone. Well, then if anybody's going to email you through your website, they'll have to make sure they add lots of, uh, lots of question marks and emojis and uh, exclamation points. And Sorry, maybe draw me a picture. That's right. <laughs> I'll probably call you. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, it was great talking to you about all this stuff. I know it's hard to share. Yeah. It's kind of different knowing where we're going with it, I guess I'm putting it out there lots of times. Um, the people I'm speaking to kind of have an idea of the direction we're going or I'm hired for that specific group. So, you know, it's already common ground. And when you just throw something up there on your website or YouTube and it's, it was definitely a different feeling. I'm excited to listen to it. Let's see what happens. Okay. Well, we'll, uh, we'll end here. Sure. And maybe we'll be talking about chakras in yeah. the near future. I hope so. Because we danced around that one quite a few times now. Yeah. I'd love to talk about the chakras. Um, and just give it up just nice and dry so no one, you know. <laughs> nice and dry. <laughs> I don't know if we can do that. No. We can try. We can try for dry, but it won't happen. No, I say that. It's true.